Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV, episode number 343. It's Tuesday, April 15th, 2014. Ooh. I'm Robbie Ferguson. Good to see you. Uh, oh, sorry. Kelsey Jensen. <laughs> Kelsey Jensen. Um, the mailbag is full tonight, Kelsey. Ooh. And uh, so we are going to dedicate a show to a viewer question extravaganza. We've got a ton of of viewer questions to cover tonight. I always Thank enjoy you. this. It's a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. And uh, we love just the eclectic nature of the viewer question mm-hmm. extravaganza because you just don't know what's going to happen. What kind okay. of crazy questions are coming our way. Also, we have a full year supply of environmentally responsible batteries that we are going to be giving away for Earth Day. So okay. stick around. We're going to be telling you how you can qualify, how you can cast your ballots in order to qualify for that draw for a year supply of Eco Alkaline's batteries. Don't miss that. But first, here's what's coming up in the newsroom. A smartphone battery has been revealed that can fully recharge in under 30 seconds. What? Whoa! Ah, Google has invested in another robotics company, which only adds to our conspiracy theories that we're closer to iRobot than anyone would like to admit. And say hello to 4K video on Netflix. But you just can't have it because your TV isn't good enough. (laughs) United States Air Force is testing Google Glass for battlefield use, probably to help them control the robots. And finally, glow-in-the-dark road markers are showing up near John's house. Stick around. These stories are coming up in the newsroom. Thanks, Kelsey. So much time and so little to do tonight. Wait a minute. Flip that. Reverse it. Thank you. Don't go anywhere. This is going to be a great show. This is Category 5 Technology TV. Starring Sasha Dermatis. Hillary Rumble. Krista Wells. And your host, Robbie Ferguson. Technology TV, episode number 343. So nice to have you here. I'm Robbie. I'm Kelsey. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN. And the International Association of Internet Broadcasters, Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Have you got your Category 5 Technology TV t-shirt yet? We've got lots of great gear over at merch.cat5.tv. Pardon me, merch.category5.tv. Is that right? I've got that completely wrong, haven't I? <laughs> i got to write these things down. Shop! Go to shop.category5.tv. <laughs> That's the one. There you go. I think I was new here. <laughs> I've been here a while. How long have you been here? We've got a lot of uh, new viewers that have been joining us lately. It's so nice to have you here. In particular, I think uh, largely because we just launched on the Roku a couple weeks ago. And some people have just bought a Roku Mm -hmm. and they added Category 5 TV because they're looking through the science and tech 
area and there it is and add it and start watching the show and never realizing that hey we're new here too so welcome to you to roku welcome to us to roku and and so great to have you as a part of the show as a part of our community uh, if you haven't got a roku yet some people have said to me okay well yeah. i've seen these posts on twitter and facebook that you guys are now on roku what does it mean well check out first of all last week's episode number two uh, 342 actually demonstrated some of the Roku yes. features. Uh, but basically, it's a box that hooks up to your TV and takes a dumb TV and turns it into a smart one. So it's like the difference between an old dumb telephone, you know, the flip phones, oh, versus yes. a smartphone, right? All of a sudden, you've got internet on your TV. You've got, you know, the ability to watch internet-based TV programming is what I mean. Things like Netflix mm-hmm. and Category 5 TV and a thousand plus other channels are available there. Well, that's quite a lot. That's quite a few. Make sure you check them out. Cat5.tv slash Roku. All right. So. Yeah. Recently, we've been dealing with Heartbleed. Is, it's been quite the week, eh? Yeah. Is Cat5 affected by Heartbleed? Well, we were actually quite fortunate because um, I built the transcoder servers, which mm-hmm. basically are the servers that convert all of our video files every week. And because we just launched on Roku, folks, this this matters to you if you're a registered viewer and if you use SSL certificates on our site and things like that. Because um, I had to hold back our Debian servers to squeeze. Mm-hmm. We couldn't upgrade to Wheezy because we were still in the process of transcoding all those videos. So oh. just by matter of fact, we happened to be on OpenSSL 0.9.8, which was not susceptible to Heartbleed. And so, you know, yay. No problems. <laughs> well, that's for pretty Category good. Five. But lots of problems for other people that oh, yeah. uh, were a little more proactive with getting their, you know, servers updated. Yeah. Not that our servers are out of date. It's just that I held them back for specific dependencies. And now we're over those dependencies, but we still hadn't upgraded. So right. Because it, pr- it was literally just two weeks ago that we launched on the Roku. Yeah. So it's perfect timing for Heartbleed to happen because now when we upgrade, we're safe. But if you're not so sure, uh, Mashable had a really, really great article. Somebody Mm -hmm. really took the time and went to about a billion different websites. Whoa. Maybe not that many, but easily a (laughs) hundred. And they they basically went and they found out, okay, well, what did Facebook say and do about Heartbleed? What did Twitter do about it? What did all the different major banks do about it? What did they say? because the question really boils down to, is my data that I had on that service safe? Do mm-hmm. I need to change my passwords? So somebody at Mashable went through and collected all the information from all these different sites, generated a list so that we've got a point of reference to be able to say, okay, well, what do I, you know, what sites do I need to change my passwords on? So go to cat5.tv slash heartbleed, and that will take you over to Mashable, and you'll see that this article is just awesome information. Heartbleed, of course, is a bug that was found in the OpenSSL library, which is a server component for a large portion of the internet. And that component is designed and developed in order to keep your data safe when you're interacting with private information. For example, you log in to your online banking and you expect that that is a secure transaction. And for years we've been saying, you know, obviously it's protected and it's secure. Mm -hmm. Well, they found a bug that as per Like I said, the older version wasn't susceptible to it, just the newer version had a bug introduced, whether it was on purpose, some conspiracy theories say that it was, uh, or whether it was just an accident, uh, which is quite possible if coding, you know, was just uh, accidents happen in code, but this is a big one. 
So they were able to. Now, if I log into my online banking, if somebody was actively exploiting their OpenSSL libraries at that time, they could read my banking password, my banking login information, all the information that transacts between me and the server. So all of that private information is visible to that hacker. So it's important to know which services Mm -hmm. believe themselves to have been affected. We know for a fact that uh, the Canadian government has been affected. Other governments have. uh, Our revenue, you know, everybody knows it's, you know, it's tax time. People are e-filing their taxes and all of a sudden Revenue Canada realized that, uh uh-oh, not only are we susceptible Mm -hmm. to Heartbleed, but somebody has been exploiting it. So somebody had actually been watching while people were filing their e-taxes. So something like 900, last count I saw, about 900 social insurance numbers, all that private information being exchanged between you and a hacker in Revenue Canada. So they actually shut down their services completely. Which, and then in turn, our tax deadline was pushed back. Excellent. (laughs) For those of us who don't file electronically, it just gives us more time. Perfect. Woo. (laughs) Uh, we'll say it, it, it helps because it yeah. snowed today, and you know nobody yeah. left the house, and we were exactly. all stranded. So, um, so get over to canceled. Exactly, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it's like we live in Canada, and they cancel. There was this much snow on the ground, and the <laughs> school buses are canceled. So the kids had a blast. We've got a th- three-day week at school because we've great. got Easter weekend coming up. So. I loved it. <laughs> Perfect. Daddy still had to go to work. Daddy still had to go to work. <laughs> so cat5.tv slash heartbleed and you see for example Facebook uh, were they exploited it's unclear is there a patch yep they fixed it do you need to change your password yes why what did they say here's what they said on their website set up a unique password so maybe they were exploited maybe they weren't not really telling us but it's important to change your password anyways mm-hmm. so that list is very helpful cat5.tv slash Heart bleed. Thanks for bringing that up. Oh, Would no hate problem. to hate to miss that. Yes, it's a big thing going on. Mm-hmm. All right. The category five TV mobile website. Let's see if I can bring up the QR code for you. Here it is: m.cat5.tv. If you want to scan that code, visit the website on your mobile device. And in fact, we've set up some redirectors so that if you go to our website, it's going to automatically take you there and give you the opportunity to check out our mobile website. It's got live streaming video, live streaming audio, as well as some other great features, including uh, on-demand video of past episodes. So, can't go wrong with that. Mm-hmm. And it's totally free. Woo. That's what Category 5 is. And, and speaking of Category 5 being free, before we get into your viewer questions, because we're just about to get into that, yes. we've got a lot of viewer questions. Yes. I just want to remind you, the community, our viewers, and if you're new here, we've got a lot of new viewers, and I know that you're there, and I, and I appreciate you being here. Uh, just remember that Category 5 is viewer-supported, uh, so we're able to provide this uh, service, this show, to you week after week, every single week faithfully, uh, absolutely free to view. So uh, we do that um, largely in part by viewer donations. And if you feel that uh, you're enjoying the show, if you've learned something from the show, if you want to simply just encourage us and support the show, help us to pay the bills and help us to you know keep things going, uh, visit cat5.tv slash C, uh, which will take you over to our website and allow you to throw something in our tip jar, which is greatly appreciated. So thank you very much for your support. Yep. So without further ado... 
What do you think? First viewer question. Time for already. Oh, she's ready. She's like, okay, Let's I'm do ready. This. Let's do it. All right. So Dennis Kelly at was saying that you showed us how to put our home folder on a second hard drive. I but did. How do you put it back? He had mm. um, it had broke broke his system. Can you just push Control Z? <laughs> control Z frantically. <laughs> he did a fresh install. You broke your system, dude. Okay. That sucks. He what did happened? a fresh install of Point Linux on his computer. She caught herself. I did it. Way to go! High five. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll add the clap sound later because that was really that was. Really <laughs> but when I configured my FS tab file, my system hangs up again. Okay. Did you edit the right FS tab file? First of all, I, I'd love to figure out why why it stopped, uh, why it broke, because it shouldn't break as long as you did everything correctly as per the tutorial on on the show. But it's possible. But you can undo what you did by just going back to the same thing. Go back to your FS tab file, remove the the mount, move the files back to your home folder on the on the main hard drive, and uh, because you remove or comment out that mount point um, to the new hard drive, it would just put everything back to the way it was. Not a huge big deal. Don't be afraid. Um, I don't think that the first thing that you need to do is panic because it's it's all stuff that you, you, you know, you moved something, you redirected, didn't work, so you can unredirect, you can move it back, mm-hmm. and all should go well. Worst case scenario, though, here's a little trick for you, Dennis Kelly. If you're still stuck, we have a tool called Team Viewer that we use here at the show, and you can get it for free. Go and download it, and uh, when you've got that, inst- well, what you can do, and what I have done, is get you to boot up from, say, a Point Linux live CD. Get this: boot from a live CD, install Team Viewer on the live CD, so it's not even touching a hard drive; it's just going into your memory, and then make a connection to us. Get into the chat room. And Tennessee Frank was wondering if you could drag and drop. Well, probably not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And the reason I say that. Because if you're in the terminal, you can do things in such a way that you're, you're making sure, for example, if I, if I copy an entire folder recursively, the way that I demonstrated, all of the hidden files are going to get copied over as well. Mm-hmm. If you do a drag and drop operation, unless you know to hit control H, display hidden files, do it correctly, then you're going to be dragging and dropping only the shown files, not the hidden files. So you're going to lose some things that are critical. Right? Yeah. It's your home folder. But also, copying and pasting through drag and drop is going to cause permissions issues because you are Kelsey Jensen. You're logged yes. into the computer as Kelsey Jensen, not as root. So when I drag and drop, I'm drag and dropping as Kelsey Jensen. So now the file permissions are going to very well change. Maybe there are even files that I don't have access to that are going to then break my system. You want to do it through... Through the terminal, I think was pro- was probably the best way to do it, and right. certainly helps you to understand what it is that you're doing. Drag and drop operations. You're not always thinking about permissions and uh, th- and ownership of the files. With command line, you tend to think about that a little bit harder, and and it's a lot easier to to diagnose things. I'll give you a good example. Um, recently, uh, I had a, a client's website that got exploited. And it was a WordPress site. If you've got WordPress, make sure you update because it's affected by Heartbleed as well. And a lot mm-hmm. of the tools that are, you know, modules and plugins are, are affected. Um, but 
what had happened is they got exploited and their database got corrupted and some stuff got messed up and it was like you know what it would be so much easier than fixing it to just revert to last night's backup so i took the backup folder from the mysql folder on the server from a a hot copy snapshot and uh, copied it over using the cp command right just in the terminal and then fired a, you know, restarted MySQL and thought, well, why, why can't it connect to MySQL? Did an ls-lah so that I can see all the uh, permissions and see it in a human-readable format and, and in a long format. And so uh, I saw that it was owned by root. Right. All of the other folders were owned by MySQL. So I did a chown space MySQL colon MySQL space uh, and then the folder name of the restore and actually did a dash R for recursive just after the uh, ch own command. And then it just went through, corrected the permissions, the ownership on all the files, and I was up and running after a MySQL restart. In drag and drop operations, you might not clue in that, oh, the, it's the wrong owner. That's why it's not working. Mm-hmm. In a ls-lah, you're going to see exactly what's wrong. You're going to see that, oh, this is... It's got 600 permissions. It needs to have 755 or, you know, who knows what. Right. So that that's mm. helpful. So. Okay. Did I help with that, Dennis Kelly? I hope so. <laughs> but like I say, we can actually remote in, take a look, figure it out. Don't panic. Don't worry. Uh, I'm sure that if you follow the directions, even if you can't get your system to boot, we can get you up and running. Maybe we can figure out what it is that's happened and maybe we can get it working for you. Maybe. Thanks for the question. All right, so our next question comes from Flatside. Hey, Flatside. It says he's looking to replace the business website with a new one. Okay. I'm guessing you've been around this road many, many times. Once or twice before <laughs> this week. <laughs> um, he would like to t- something that is open source and works on a Linux server. Uh, they will be using the site not only to re- provide a resourceful con- use and useful content, a resource of useful content, but also pl- a place for clients to order their services. Uh, security is obviously a huge concern for sure. someone who uses that kind of stuff. Get an OpenSSL certificate based on a newer version of OpenSSL. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> uh, he's used Joomla. Uh, okay, Joomla. Joomla mm-hmm. for the pa- for past where security wasn't a big issue. Okay. Um, but it's apparently a very big target for hackers. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, would it, an open, out-of-the-box solution? Out-of-the-box, I don't think there's anything. Like, there's nothing that you can just drag in and, boom, you've got a website, yeah. right? It takes work, and it, here's something that it's going to take. Flat side, the key thing is that you or somebody has to be committed to maintaining this thing. Mm-hmm. I mentioned that a customer had their WordPress site exploited. You mentioned that Joomla is an unsafe platform. Here's what happens is if you're doing well with your website, you're going to get indexed by the search engines. Right. And everybody's so excited. Yes, I come up on the first page (laughs) of Google. That's great if the people that find you are legitimate paying customers. But guess who else finds you in that instance? Bots. Bots are scripts developed by... They could be legitimate, like Googlebot, which is crawling your website to get information to put it into the search engine. Mm-hmm. Bingbot or Yahoo Bot or Jotbot, whatever. But then there are some that have been developed by hackers who are going onto your website to find ways to hack your website 
by doing SQL injections, by finding known exploits. That's where Joomla and WordPress fall short, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's open source. So hackers can download the source code for Joomla and look through and they can nitpick through and they can say, okay, whoa, look at this. I found a way to use the contact form to inject SQL and insert a whole bunch of posts Mm -hmm. in one call from from a php call using get right so when when they found that by looking at the joomla source code because it's open source that's one of you know don't get don't get misled open source is a fantastic thing because it also means people fix things Mm -hmm. because someone else is looking through joomla source and says whoa look at what somebody could do that's what happened with open ssl look at what somebody could do we need to fix this right away Mm -hmm. Right. But what happens if you don't update to the version that now has the fix? Right. Right. What happened? What happens to you if if you heard about Heartbleed, but then you didn't upgrade your OpenSSL certificates? That's not talking to end users. So I'm not talking to you, Kelsey. I'm talking to these are server administrators. What would happen if Facebook didn't update their OpenSSL having heard of Heartbleed? Right. That's the scenario. So you've got all these people like yourself, Flatside, who want to install a website, get up and running fast, install Mm -hmm. Joomla, install WordPress, but then don't update, don't actively maintain so that as these things, Heartbleed is the example, as these things are discovered, did you patch your website? Do you have a WordPress blog? Did you immediately patch your WordPress blog when you heard about Heartbleed? If you're thinking, oh, maybe I didn't. If you've got Joomla and it's the same scenario, mm-hmm. did you? Because if you didn't, then you're, you're probably not the person to be administering your own website. Right. So what I do, one of the, the things that I provide to my customers, because there are a lot of you, there's, there are a lot of people who want to just build websites and run their own website. That's fine. You want to add your own blog. You don't want to have to email a web developer to put up your blog entry. Right. You want to be able to log in and, and use it. Mm-hmm. But you don't necessarily want to be in this, this scenario where you've got to be doing all the maintenance as well. Because mm-hmm. an unmaintained website is going to be exploited. Period. Just when. Right? So what I provide is a service where every uh, uh, you know X amount of time, anytime there's an exploit that's revealed or every three months, whichever comes first, I log into the WordPress site. I, uh, I do all your maintenance and updates for you. I have plugins installed that automatically email me if someone's trying to hack on the website and then I can get in and, and thwart their efforts. Um, so finding somebody to do that for you doesn't have to be me, can be me, because um, that's what I do professionally, so feel free to let me know if you want to work with me in that regard. But that's what it boils down to. Will you be safe when exploits come? So WordPress is the first one that I would look at to really quickly uh, answer mm-hmm. that question flat side now that we've got all that stuff out of the way. When you say that you're selling your services, I wonder, like, are we just selling ourselves like I just did? Or am I actually saying, okay, now enter your credit card number? Like, do we need to take transactions? That's the difference. Um, If you're going to be taking transactions, user logins and everything, you have to have a secure OpenSSL. (laughs) Don't lose faith in it. It's still good. It's just they needed to fix it, and it's been fixed. You have to have a secure connection. Mm -hmm. And that requires special hosting with a static IP. And you've got to, if you know how to do all that stuff, that's great. If you don't, call someone like myself and we can set that up for you professionally. On the show, I don't do that. This is my, I'm talking my day job. Um, 
but you have to have those kinds of things in place if you're going to be doing sales or logins and things. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else? I mean, WordPress is a good one because it's easy for you to install, deploy, get up and running, but you have to maintain it. You have yeah. to. Not that Joomla's bad, and it's not that WordPress is bad. It's just that people don't maintain them when they deploy for themselves, and that's when it becomes a problem. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, if I can just touch, just to finalize the thought, WordPress versus Joomla. WordPress, the update process, the ability to keep current is much, much easier than Joomla. Joomla, um, think of it as the Microsoft Windows model where when a new version of Windows comes out, <laughs> you have to wipe out everything and start fresh. Wipe out everything, start fresh. Right. WordPress is the Debian model where new versions come out and you just say... Yes, update. Yes, update. And it rolls up to the newest version. Right. Sometimes it breaks things, just like a Debian operating system would, because there are dependencies and there are plugins that maybe, you know, you got this plugin three years ago and you've updated to the latest version of WordPress, but the guy who used to develop that plugin is gone mm-hmm. and it's no longer compatible. So right. you have to find an alternative. That happens, but WordPress is much, much easier to maintain. So that's why I would lean toward that. All right. Okay. Uh, Good luck. Let me know. Our next question is from Lance Mann. Hey, Lance uh, Mann. He's trying to get L- Linux Mint mm-hmm. to, to work with a Kodak ESP 3.2 AIO printer. Okay. He loaded the driver provided for Kodak with Linux Mint uh, 16. And when he sends the text te- te- test document, um, the, uh, the printer loads the paper to print and then stops. Any idea how to fix this? He believes he found a newer version of the driver online, but doesn't know how to s- install a tarball. You can remote into my computer if it helps. Okay. Lance Man, are you here right now? I'm looking in the chat room. H-I-J-K-L. No, Lance Man. Lance Man, get in the chat room if you're around. Um, so this is a Kodak printer. Do they still support their stuff? Because they've kind of... Do they, they Are they out of business? Kodak? Kodak, um... I don't know. I think I, I thought know. they still. I, I don't think that they're really doing anything if they are in business. Yeah. Um, so where do you get the driver from? Um, mm. Doesn't look like Lance Man is is here with us live tonight. Um, okay, Tarball. A Tarball is. Think of it in terms of if, if we're going to use Windows as the example, because I think everybody's familiar with mm-hmm. it. We'll say a zip file just to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. It's like a folder that has been compressed. A tarball is typically like a tar.gz, which means it's one folder that has been put into one file. That's the tar part. .gz is then they've that folder has now been compressed so that it takes up less space. Right. So a tarball means that it's a compressed folder um, all in one file that you can distribute on the internet. So you download that thing and it's like, okay, well... What do I do with this thing? Well, first of all, you extract it. You're going to see a whole bunch of junk in there. And what's in there is what's going to determine how you, uh, how you move forward. Unfortunately, you didn't include a link with the, uh, with the question. So I can't, I can't determine what the, the course of action is there. So, Lance Man, I, I won't take too much time on it just because I feel like I can't answer the question properly for mm-hmm. you tonight. Uh, but... Pop me an email if you've got the link for the driver or if you've got um, a, a way for me to remote in. If we need to do it on a weekend or something, if you're not able to be here on a, on a Tuesday Night Live, that's okay. Um, and I'll just record it and we'll play it the following Tuesday. 
I'm fine with that. But let's see if we can get that solved for you, okay? Um, and see if there are instructions. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's an install, all capitals. It's just called install uh, within the file itself, and it may have instructions that are just copy and paste, and uh, hopefully that will help. All right, so Jot has put in the chat the... He thinks he's found a link the to it? Kodak. Possibly, anyways. There is a Kodak website, so they're still active. What was the model? The model was... Um, ESP 3.2 AIO. ESP 3.2 all in one mm-hmm. AIO. Okay. Uh, America, Canada, English. Okay. We're looking at this for Lance Man. That's a DMG file, so that's, um, that is Mac. Oh, is that all for Mac? Mac. Is there one for... For Linux would be... Uh, says he's found one. Hmm. I don't see anything for Linux here. It's all Mac. Yeah. Hmm. Mac OS. So we don't have access... Uh, at least we haven't found the file there, Lanceman. So pop me a link. We'll see what we can do, okay? Yep. And if we have to bring it up next show, everybody will feel... A sigh of relief as we fix this for you. All right. And the next question, can MS Office, Microsoft Office and eSword run together in a virtual machine? If so, does it need to be on, installed on VM using Wine? eSword. That's one that I haven't seen in a long time. Cool. Still around. Wow. That's pretty cool. So like a, a an electronic Bible and concordance and everything all in one, still around for Microsoft Windows. So that program being a Windows program, I'm not sure whether it would run in Wine or not. But when you ask if, if you can do uh, like a virtual machine with mm-hmm. Wine, two totally different scenarios. Virtual machine is basically running Windows in Linux mm-hmm. so that all Windows programs will work. So in that scenario... Yeah, eSword and Microsoft Office will run. And in fact, virtual machines support seamless mode, which means that you can make it seem as though... I shouldn't use the word seam because then you're going to think seamless. No, it's seamless <laughs> as in like a, you know, a seam in a, in a garment. Um, seamless mode makes it so that the programs appear to be a part of the Linux operating system. I don't use it a lot because I find it a little bit finicky. Mm-hmm. Um, I prefer to have, you know, if I bring up Windows, I've got a second monitor on my desk and I bring up Windows as full screen on there and then I've got Linux on my other monitor. That's right. how I that's how I roll. <laughs> um, so in that case, a virtual machine, you can install Windows 7 into and then if you're stuck with any programs that are for Windows like this, that you can't get running in in Linux mm-hmm. natively using Wine, because Wine is a different thing altogether. It allows you to run Windows program in Linux natively, mm-hmm. okay, just by double-clicking on the EXE. Great tool, great way to start. Um, I'll show you how we can find out. Wine HQ is where you want to go. WineHQ.org, okay? And then what we can do when we're here, because they have a full database. Now, they've redesigned since I have been here, but they've got a Google search up here. Let's see if it helps me. E-Sword is the application that you're looking for. So, WineHQ E-Sword. Look at this. E-Sword has support in Wine. 
So the versions of eSword that you can get will in fact run natively in Linux using Wine, okay? So you would just install Wine and then install the program just like as if you were in Microsoft Windows. Easy breezy. Microsoft Office, on the other hand, you may need to have actually installed Windows right. in order to do that. So good luck. Hope that helps. Right. Thanks for the question. Our next question comes from Jason. Hey, Jason. It's a pretty simple question. Is YouTube or YouTube... Oh, sorry. But before, Jason, I get into that. Dave Maydu just made a really great point. Don't forget about crossover on Linux. Crossover mm -hmm. Office is what it was called. I, I think it still is. Crossover is specifically designed for Office Suite applications. It's a commercial version of Wine that should allow you to install many, many, many... Um, Windows programs like Microsoft Office, like mm -hmm. eSword on Linux natively, but you have to pay for it. That one, has anyone got a link for me for that? Crossover Office? Let's see. I'll just really quickly, I mean you can find it just as quickly as me. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But <laughs> it's okay. There's a really, really good point there, Dave Maydew. Thank you for sending it over. From Code Weavers. This is stuff that I haven't used in a long, long time. Code Weavers has been around for, for ages. There you go. They're version 13. Uh, you can buy it, and that will give it... It's 60 bucks, and that should give you more support. What runs? Browse applications. Uh, can you search? Search. Um, eSword. But we know that eSword works on regular wine, so that's good. Mm -hmm. You see that it works on crossover. What else? Search. Microsoft Office. So, Office 2000, pfft, whatever. That's no good. 2007. <laughs> so it's pretty getting up there. 2007 Silver. The Silver is awarded to applications that install and run well enough to be usable. In our testing, we do find that these applications do have bugs. Mm. Uh, 2010. Not uh, known not to work. See, that's what I'm saying. Some of the mm -hmm. older, some of the newer versions of Microsoft Office, you literally will have to have a virtual machine, even with yeah. the commercial version of wine from code weavers mm. so great suggestion though thank you dave Maydu. all right okay sorry we'll, we'll <laughs> take jason's question and then straight into the news after that okay hey jason sorry um, for interrupting is you youtube or Ustream an adaptive protocol video youtube is adaptive and what that means is that when we stream live mm -hmm. we give youtube the best quality stream that we possibly can YouTube then re-encodes in multiple different bit rates. That's why if you're watching this on YouTube Live or even on demand, mm -hmm. you'll see that you can select anything from 240p all the way up to 720p, something along those lines, mm -hmm. right? Because it's adaptive. It, it, they automatically are transcoding the, the bit rates all at once. And si similarly, it uses the, you know, the everything is HTML5, um, so it's, you know, it's good stuff. Uh, Ustream I don't think is adaptive. Remember when we were on, unless they've improved things since we were on Ustream, uh, we used to have to send multiple streams to Ustream. Mm -hmm. So if I wanted to have a, a dial, like a, not dial-up, a mobile <laughs> version. <laughs> if I wanted a mobile version and an HD version, I had to send two streams. Uh, YouTube is different because I only have to send one stream. Mm -hmm. And so that is adaptive. Also, um, like on Roku, uh, we're looking at being able to stream live with YouTube, for example. And that would be adaptive, which mm -hmm. would be fantastic. 
because uh, right now we are on Roku Live, but we are using WM. Uh, no, not WMV. Uh, we're using HTTP uh, HTML5 video streaming, but it's uh, it's non-adaptive, and I think that's limitations of my encoder. But right. So, so to answer your question, yeah, YouTube is the one. But not Ustream. Very handy for us. Ustream wasn't when I used it. Yes. But that has been, to be fair, that's been over a year. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that they've brought it in. But all right. Hey, are you ready to hit some news stories? Because yeah. we've got some great news uh, to get things rolling into the... Uh, and, and, and don't forget, I've got some batteries that we're giving away yes. from Eco Alkalines. And these are environmentally responsible batteries. They're carbon neutral, made of recycled stuff, recyclable. And uh, they're just, you know, we love to be green here at the show as much as possible and this is one of the ways that we do it so mm. they're excellent batteries as well i've got a year supply to give away oh. i'm talking a year supply that's, that's pretty of good. alkaline batteries it's from eco alkalines good. Good, pretty that. good get in on that everyone should get it up. so we're going to tell you how to do that just after the news yep. So don't go anywhere you ready for this all right take it away here are the top stories from the category 5.tv newsroom a battery that can charge in under 30 seconds has been shown off at a technology conference in Tel Aviv. Israel startup StoreDot displayed the device made of biological structures at Microsoft's Think Next conference. A Samsung S4 smartphone went from a dead battery to full power in 26 seconds in the demonstration. What? It's pretty good. The batteries are likely to be 30 to 40% more expensive to manufacture compare compared to traditional ones, and the final product will be twice as expensive than those on the market today. Kelsey, you are extremely hard to please. <laughs> it charged in 26 seconds, and she says it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Well, yeah, it's really good. My iPod Touch <laughs> decharges in about 26 seconds, yeah. but takes 12 hours to charge. Yeah. That's, that's really good. <laughs> really good. Really, really, really good. That's crazy. That's, that is crazy good. Crazy. <laughs> but I want to know, does the thing explode? Oh, yeah. That like might. we're talking going from zero charge to 100% charged in 26 seconds? How is that even possible? <laughs> I know it's some kind of crazy like, nuclear device in your pocket. <laughs> no doubt. But uh, uh, that's awesome. All right. Tell me it's awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. She's it's really awesome. it again, folks. It's really awesome. That's <laughs> so awesome. I really want I it. I can't believe it. I really want it. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, what's this? <laughs> Google is taking a stake in Silicon Valley-based robotics company that has yet to reveal its first product. Savico's work may be under wraps, but it has announced plans to begin customer trials of a service industry-targeted machine this year. Google has acquired eight other robotics companies outright over the past year. I think they're up to something. Uh, You never know. They look happy about the acquisition. Yeah. I tell you. Probably not very happy. This is before they announced the layoffs. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not. Yes. All right. All right. Streaming 4K video is now available on Netflix after earlier announcements that the on-demand video service would be introducing Ultra HD content. Early adopters of the 4K may be unable to take advantage of the new feature as the decoder required to view Netflix 4K videos was not built into early 4K televisions. Oh. Mm. They are currently... 
There are currently few few alternatives to overcome the problem. Some available so some shows available include House of Cards and some nature documentaries. It has been confirmed by Netflix via multi-channel news that 4K streaming is now live and available for a selected number of programs, including the second season of House of Cards. Netflix chief executive Reed Hastings has said that an average speed of 15.6 M- Mbps would be required to stream its 4K content. That would be MB lowercase? M- megabits? Megabits per or second. Or is it uppercase megabytes? Megabit. M- megabits. Megabits. Okay, megabits per second. Megabits. 15.6. So high-speed light would be out of the question, obviously. Right. You'd have to have a screaming fast internet connection to mm-hmm. do this. Um, so, you know, like your sticks that have 10 meg connection wouldn't do it for you either. Mm-hmm. And I, I think what's what's so interesting about Netflix is that they push and they push the technology. Mm-hmm. And this is how they've always been. And when Netflix first came to the Internet, what did people say? This is, this is ridiculous. You can't watch TV on the Internet, <laughs> right? Because everyone pictured it as YouTube and you know, back then YouTube wasn't even HD. So, you know, it was like this little box and SD format four over three video. So now to be saying 4K, the tech people are saying, oh, this is doable. Mm-hmm. But it's going to max out a lot of Internet connections. Uh, but, so, you know, people are saying, oh, is it even possible? Because mm-hmm. that's a crazy amount of data to be streaming over the Internet, over an IP yeah. network. But Netflix, if anyone can do it, I think they're the ones who are going to push this. And right. then we're going to look back at this 10 years from now and say, 4K, that's lame. Yeah. Right? Incredible. Here we are. We're still trying to get 720p working well. Yeah. What the heck? <laughs> Come on. Focus on me, camera. Yeah. <laughs> they're doing 4K. It's crazy. Oh, what's this? The U.S. Air Force's... Batman research at Wright at, research team at Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio is beta testing Google Glass for possible use on the battlefield, and so far it likes what it sees. The Batman evaluation group is part of the U.S. Air Force's 711th Human Performance Wing and is one of the military's most distinguished research and development groups. The positive attributes with Google Glass are its low power and its low footprint, it sits totally above the eyes and doesn't block images or hinder vision. Those are the words of 2nd Lieutenant Anthony Easton, behavioral scientist on the Batman team testing the glasses. We just don't think that's really, we just don't really think that's going to work. It just doesn't look practical. No, it doesn't. (laughs) The team is also prototyping proprietary software to enhance the Android OS platform that powers the technology. The testing comes as the U.S. military attempts to move beyond using battlefield laptops in combat and intelligence missions and rely more on smartphones, tablets, and wearables, which are, which are easier to use and maneuver in confined spaces and on the battlefield. We found the big word. It's proprietary. Proprietary. You know the word? I know the word. Proprietary is like something that, like in software terms, is something mm-hmm. that is not open source. It's theirs, and they own it. They control mm-hmm. everything about it. Right. And uh, so they're actually developing for Google Glass this proprietary software that maybe uh, will be closed to everyone else. Yeah. A, a distinctive advantage having Batman <laughs> in, in the battlefield. 
That'd be pretty. Well, mm. you never know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Glow-in-the-dark road markings have been unveiled on a 500-meter stretch of highway in the Netherlands. The paint combines photoluminizing powder that charges up in the daytime and slowly releases a green low gr- glow at night, doing away with the need for streetlights. Interactive artist Dan Rosengard teamed with teamed up with Dutch civil engineer firm Hygemans to work on the idea. The technology is being tested with an official launch due later this month. You can get the full stories at category5.tv slash newroom. The category5.tv newsroom is researched by Roy W. Nash with contributions by our community of viewers. If you have a news story you'd like you think is worthy of our of on air attention Email newsroom at category5.tv. For the category5.tv newsroom, I'm Kelsey Jensen. Kelsey, I really love that idea of the glow-in-the-dark stripes on the road. Yeah. I disagree. I don't think that they should get rid of streetlights. No. Maybe they could have less. But there are other obstacles. I mean, you, right. you need to be able to see other things, and streetlights mm-hmm. help you with that. But where that would make a lot of sense to me, we were coming home uh, on Sunday, for example, and it was really, really foggy. I mean, very foggy. I don't know if you were out mm. and about, but here in yeah. Ontario, uh, Barrie, all the way, like just everywhere was just, there was a low, dense fog. Right. Impossible to yeah. see anything in front of you beyond 20 to 30 feet. Mm-hmm. And that would have been an ideal thing to have on the street because you literally can't see the, because your, your headlights are stopped by the fog. Right. You can't see the, the street light, uh, the, the street mm-hmm. markings because they're so poor at this time of year. They've been salted and sanded and scraped and they need to be repainted and that makes a lot of sense Hmm. Hmm. cool (laughs) thank you to everybody who submitted stories this week really interesting stuff Jot says remember to not wear sunglasses at night next time that is also oh yeah I was wearing (laughs) my dirty glasses right right. well Kelsey, we all, I mean, we all need batteries. I've got yes. flashlights. I've got um, just all yeah. stuff using double A's. I've got even a, a helicopter that I recharge with D batteries. I've got a remote control helicopter. Those and things are fun to play with. They're a lot of fun, and you recharge it by plugging it into the base station and it's D batteries <laughs> and stuff. But one of the things that I really, really, really don't like is waste that does not decompose. Right. Because yeah, it's... Not- it's realistically we're in a world where you know there's a finite amount of resources and maybe we're going to wake up one day and realize that this is the case it's important that we do this now and not later so when a company like eco alkalines comes along i think okay there's a great idea because it's a battery that is decompostable uh, yeah de- uh, i'm not sure of the terms but it will biodegrade yes and it's lands- landfill safe i still send them to the e-waste recycling because i know that there are metals and things in here that they can reuse and they can responsibly right. recycle them but but to know that it's not going to leak things like mercury or mercury or cadmium uh, lead is another one that batteries right. sometimes have that can leak into mm-hmm. the the water stream and stuff like that yeah. there's none of that in here uh, they're carbon neutral as well, and what that means basically is that um, they're responsible uh, responsible about their carbon footprint. So mm-hmm. as they manufacture batteries, they are doing other things to offset the carbon footprint of the company to make sure that they are leaving no carbon footprint. Right. So I've got a year supply. <laughs> this is not even uh, this is not even touching on it, but just to give you an idea, like these are boxes in bulk of. Ecoalkalines batteries. Let's pull some of these out. There you go. So these are the double A's. Yeah. 
There you go. And I've got a year supply to give away. All you have to do is get on over to cat5.tv slash free batteries. And that's going to take you over to Facebook. You need to have a Facebook account. If you don't already have one, just sign up. It's important. You're going to get a year supply out of, of batteries out of this. Okay? Cat5.tv slash free batteries. And follow the directions there. Basically, what we need to do is like EcoAlkalines on Facebook. We need to share the post that that link is going to take you to. And then all you have to do, Kelsey, is send me an email, contest at category5.tv. And when you've sent that email uh, and you've done all the other things, so there's only Mm -hmm. three things that you need to do, we're going to cast your ballot. And on uh, April 29th, we're going to be conducting that draw. It's it's kind of in in, uh, observation of Earth Day, which is next Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. Uh, But we wanted to make sure that our viewers on Roku, for example, that you had a chance here to be able to participate in a, a fantastic giveaway. Um, so a year supply of batteries, I mean, and they, these are not, they're not crazy batteries. These are just the same, you know, they're double A, triple A, nine volt C's, D's, whatever. And it's going to work in your devices. Right. And they're really, really great batteries. You can find out more about them, uh, by following that link, cat5.tv slash free batteries. You'll see mm-hmm. that up behind me over the next couple of weeks as well. So make sure you participate in that. Can't wait to give those away to you. And by the way. Because I see the question coming up. So if you're watching this on Roku, you're watching this anywhere. Anywhere. Batteries are heavy. Batteries are expensive to ship. But we are going to send these anywhere in the world. Whoa. I don't care where you are. I'm going to get these to you. All right? We're, we're so going to do it. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna find a way. We have the technology. <laughs> we're going to get we'll them to it. you. We'll so no matter where you are, get them into us. <laughs> Get your ballots in, and good luck. And don't forget to be watching on the 29th. Yes. See if you won. Mm-hmm. Woo! All right. Are you ready? More yes. questions? Woo, yay. Oh, or do we want to, before we get into qu- more questions, because we've got so many, yes. I know what you're thinking. Do I know what you're thinking? Do you know what I'm What's thinking? What's next? What are we going to do next? Oh, we're going to look at that viewer no. map. Yeah, yeah exactly. We talked about this. I wanted to say hello to some of the new viewers because we've got just a ton of new oh, viewers yeah, coming out of the website. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Have you got some names there that we can Yes, I do. We've got Tedson52. Hello. Uh, Jaguar XT. WD5DHK. Hello. Dreamweaver909. KF4CEI. OMGBIGO. I don't know what that means. All these ones that we can't pronounce, <laughs> but we can spell them out. <laughs> Gonzo194. Hey, yeah. Geokazi4348. Welcome. Dane Keeper. Hi, Britar. Main Plus. DB13390. <laughs> Cat Highway Runner. Sumen. TCSHEP48. Buddha underscore belly, T. Flinix, Williams, and Spare Parts. Welcome to the show. And we've got our viewer location map. Just kind of, This is our live viewer location map flying around to where our viewers are from tonight. 
So nice to have you all joining us. Thank you for joining us here at Category 5 TV. And that list of names that we were just naming out, those are newly registered viewers on our website, Category5.tv. It's a free service. All you have to do is get over to Category5.tv, and you'll be able to participate in the show, participate in contests, and all of the exciting stuff that has to do with our community. Uh, And looking at that viewer location map, which you'll find at map.cat5.tv, it's really, really cool to see uh, viewers all over the world. We're just... The U.S. is gone. The, yeah, we 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 uh, pretty much have taken over the uh, eastern seaboard for sure. Yep. There's the United States into Canada, and it's so you know it's so wonderful to have all of you joining us. Uh, but just to give you a little bit of perspective as to how far-reaching Category Five Technology TV is, even going south, Rio de Janeiro, and and all the way down into Argentina, and it going you know overseas, it's a similar. Oh, now I've got four worlds because I zoomed out too far. Uh, it's a similar scenario over in mm-hmm. Germany and and uh, Wales, Ireland, Sweden, U- UK. UK, Spain, um, France looks like too Poland. And and I've mentioned before, it's so nice to see so many uh, people as we move inland. Uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, growth in Russia and. Uh, and even all the way, you know, we see a viewer tonight in Mongolia. Wow. South Korea. Taiwan. And we've got a, a fair number of viewers on Roku who have been joining us lately from uh, from uh, Japan as well. So I want to welcome, you know, I just want to welcome everybody. It's so nice to have you uh, being a part of the show. Yes, welcome. Thanks for watching. All right. So we've got your viewer questions. All that said, let's tackle some more. All right. There are quite a few. We've only got about... I know. This is wild. We're going to have like like a viewer question extravaganza extravaganza. Oh, yeah. It'll be like a four-hour episode. (laughs) We love getting your questions, folks, and we're doing our best to make sure that we get as many in as we can. Um, So thank you for sending them in. All right. Chloe UK has just made the change from Windows to Linux. Woo! She's very much a newbie. Uh, she would like your views regarding using a firewall or other security software with her Ubuntu. Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. Some people say yes. Others say no need. Which, sure. which do you, would you recommend? What's different about Linux is that you are not running as the root user. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that mean? Windows typically out of the box is going to have an administrator user account that allows you to... It, it makes things easy for the end user because you don't have to think about it when you download and install things you just yes. click on the exe you press yes and it installs mm-hmm. the problem with that methodology is viruses are also easy to install <laughs> yeah a little too easy as some windows users have found on linux you are running as your user and your user has a stripped down level of security which is not allowed to do the things that will completely destroy your system Mm-hmm. like a virus that's cool in a home network and a business network you have what's called a firewall on your router it's called a NAT so if you have uh, a device that plugs into your modem and these days a lot of internet service providers provide you with a modem that contains a built-in router that router has uh, a firewall a NAT firewall so do I need to install a firewall on my Linux machine if it's a Workstation, if it's your computer for personal use, the answer is probably not. If it's a server, 
Absolutely, because it's forward-facing and you've got ports that are open. But basically, a workstation, the ports are going to be closed out of the box until you open them. Mm -hmm. That means that there aren't the ways for people to get in until you open them. So if I then install OpenSSH so that people can remote into my computer from Mm -hmm. upstairs, now I might have opened up an exploitable thing because I've got a port open. So then I might consider putting in a firewall and whitelisting my IP address internally. Mm So that's where something like CSF LFD would come in handy. You can just install it, and it will pretty much work out of the box. Uh, and I'll post links for you in the show notes for episode number 343. You'll find that on our website, category5.tv. Generally speaking, though, for a workstation, you don't need it. But what you do need to do, I mentioned that your ISP gives you a modem with a router built in. It's got a firewall built in. That's great. It blocks traffic at the firewall. But what do ISPs also do? They use generic passwords for those firewalls. When you hook up a firewall, uh, when you hook up a device that your ISP has provided or that you've bought from the store, the first thing you need to do is secure it. Because what happens, and I had this happen, I've, I have a lovely customer, and she said something is going on here. Right. So I actually went to her house to find out what was going on. Turns out the internet service provider had come in and she explained to me that they replaced the modem for her because the Mm. modem was not working. They replaced it. That's great. Thank you for replacing it. They set up her Wi-Fi and they got it all up and running and so she was back online and everything was great. But something's going weird. Computers acting funny and and stuff like that. So I went down to the the modem and I plugged in a laptop to it and the modem itself, which had a built-in router, had remote administration wide open. What does that mean? Somebody from halfway across the world can do, we've talked about a port scan. So they look through all the IP addresses. They find a router in Barrie, Ontario, that's been connected and not secured by the ISP. And they say, oh, look, port 80 is open or port 8080 is open. Let's see what's there. Oh, it's uh, a firewall. So they now get this screen that says, log into my firewall. Oh, okay. So they Google the model number or search for it in their favorite search engine that hackers use, probably DuckDuckGo, (laughs) and they find the model of your router and they say, okay, default password is password. This was her scenario. So I used the default username and the default password and got into her router. Now, okay, well, they're still not into my computer. That's not a problem, right? Now, I am connected to the router, and I can check the DHCP table, which is the IP Mm -hmm. addresses being dished out in your internal LAN. So now I can see that your computer is actually Mm 192.168.0.107. Now I can create a DMZ, demilitarized zone, to that computer because I am remoted into the firewall, right? So now I have full access to your computer. I can open all your files. I can access your printer. I can, I can install things on your computer to be able to monitor when you go on your online banking. What is your banking password? Oh. Right? Or your credit card number when you shop on certain websites. Yeah. So the first thing you need to do is secure that. As long as you have a firewall, it needs to be secure, Right. Don't yeah. just take for granted that it is working and protecting you because it probably isn't if it's out of the box. 
So that's where you have to. So it's not Linux and, you know, the firewall on Linux. It's is your home safe? Is your network safe? Because they'll find another way and they can hack into your TV or your fridge. (laughs) It happened. They've got smart fridges now and people were hacking into the fridges and using them to send spam. (laughs) Not the canned stuff either. Which both and both versions are nasty. Both are. They're <laughs> slimy and gross, and you just never know what they're made of. Um, so, yeah, make sure that you've got something to protect you at the at the entry yeah. point. And uh, mm-hmm. if you're concerned at all, CSF LFD is a good one for Linux. I love it. And there are other ones as well. Ubuntu is the one you're on, so they've got the UFW. Ubuntu firewall uh, is, is fine for home users. Okay. All right. Uh, oh, is it 8 o'clock? It is. It Did I talk for an hour? <laughs> happens every week. It happens every week. Oh, my goodness. How did that happen, Kelsey? No. <laughs> it's like we didn't even get through half the questions. Half the questions. Not even. Like, wow. It's, it's a comeback next week. <laughs> Come back next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Hillary Rumble is going to be joining you next week. And we've got some exciting things, exciting changes happening here at the show that are just going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have, uh, we're evolving into a two co-host setup, which I'm excited about. Yeah, so it'll sounds- be myself and two other people. I had fun having you here over the past couple of weeks. Thanks for coming and filling in and no being part of the show. Thank you. A lot of fun having you here. What would we do without you? Mm. Uh, don't forget we are on Roku, cat5.tv slash Roku to find out more. Get your device there. Uh, and again, next week, uh, Hillary Rome is going to be here. Don't forget to get your ballots in for our contest for Eco Alkalines. Why do I keep holding up the box? It's really heavy. It's literally Getting right my there. my workout here. So. <laughs> and have a wonderful week. Thanks. Let's try that again. Ready? Oh. <laughs> yeah! Ow! Ow! That really did hurt. Ow! My hand's going to go red. See ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed the show. Category 5 TV broadcasts live from Barrie, Ontario, Canada every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern. If you're watching this on demand or through cable TV, check out the local showtimes in your area at Category5.tv and find out when you can watch live and interact in the community chat room. Category 5 is a production of Prodigy Digital Solutions and is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 2.5 Canada. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in. 